Hi, I'm Bryant Wright with Sin Relief. Most everyone has heard the term human trafficking, but not everyone has knowingly come face to face with a human who's being trafficked. And yet when you live in Southeast Asia and work with Sin Relief there, it's almost inevitable that one day you'll cross paths with a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who's been forced into a life no one should have to endure. In this episode of Stories of Hope, Pat, a Sin Relief partner in Thailand, will take you into one of the most notorious red light districts in the world. It's a place that's unspeakably sad, and yet it's also a place where God has produced a story of hope, a warning. Some of this material in this episode is sensitive and may not be suitable for young ears. Please listen first before sharing with your children. Pat is a Send Relief Director in Asia. We'll not use his last name for security reasons. Pat will never forget the day he witnessed the horrors of human trafficking firsthand. That was the first time that I ever came face to face with someone who had actually been trafficked. Despite human trafficking becoming a hot-button topic over the past decade, the media spotlight hasn't revealed what Pat sees. Pat is a Send Relief Area Director who's worked for nearly 30 years in Thailand, a hotbed of human trafficking. When we think of human trafficking here in Southeast Asia, it has actually a number of different facets to it. One, of course, is the sex trade that we often think about with human trafficking. But also, we have a lot of laborers who are actually trafficked as well. And so, when I think of trafficking, I think of being forced to do something, being forced to live somewhere, being forced to go in a direction with your life that you probably would not have chosen. But a second component of that definition would be that someone is exploiting you for their means or for their purposes. Stories of Hope is a podcast about pioneers around the world who are meeting physical needs and changing lives in Jesus' name. This is episode number 71, Staring Human Trafficking in the Face. It's not unusual, especially in poorer villages where we live in the north of of Thailand, to have young women and also young men who need employment. And so recruiters will go to those uh, villages and those little small hamlets, and they will offer these people employment. And what the recruiters will do is they will tell the parents of these normally younger people, they'll tell them that they want to bring them to the city, They want to help them to get a job that they could guarantee them a job. So their children will go to the cities, and when they get there, the recruiter who who paid the money to the parents back in the village might tell them, you know, we don't have a job now, so you have to do something else. 
And that's whenever they begin to get involved in the sex trade, especially. And here in this part of the world, especially, we have an entire industry built upon trafficking and the sex trade, and it's called sex tourism. An individual can actually purchase a tour, and as he travels from city to city, he might have a different partner in every city. It's a very lucrative industry, and they get trafficked and they get shuffled around just like livestock. But human trafficking is not just isolated to the sexual exploitation of women. Many men and young boys are also targeted through labor trafficking. In fact, it is estimated that of the over 40 million global trafficking victims, 81% are trapped in forced labor situations. With this kind of manpower, it's no wonder that human trafficking is a $150 billion industry. Basically what they do is the same principle. They bring people from other countries, from some of the village areas, from some of the mountain areas, to work in the cities but when it gets time to actually paying them for maybe a construction project or a harvesting project, suddenly we'll have people who will show up and arrest them and say they're illegal in the country. And then the person who trafficked them puts on sort of like an act or a show and says that he has to pay all of these people or are they going to get arrested and they'll be deported from the country. Pat is not just talking about hypothetical situations trafficking victims may find themselves in. While working on a send relief project in a neighboring country, Pat witnessed the horrors of international trafficking firsthand. I was actually up in a very, very remote area in northeastern uh, Myanmar, and we were doing community development projects, and I was in a little hotel I had come down for breakfast that next morning and uh, was at my table eating and talking with the project director who was there. And as we were talking, I saw a gentleman sitting at a table in the far right corner of this little restaurant and he had a young lady at his table. He was, he was probably, I would say, maybe late 50s, early 60s. And I saw him sitting there and he was speaking English, but the young lady, of course, could not speak any English. I went to him and I asked him, hey, I said, you know, what's your name? And he kind of mumbled his name. I don't think he really wanted me to know his name, but he had his sunglasses on, very dark sunglasses, and he would not take them off. As Pat continued to speak with the man, it became apparent that something was off. He would not make eye contact or share personal details. After much persistence, Pat finally established that he was a former bar owner in New Orleans who had moved to Asia to open a new restaurant in the very Thai city where Pat lived. I told him, I said, you know, I have traveled in this part of this country many times and I have never ever seen another Westerner other than my project director in this area. So it's really unusual for me to see, you know, someone up here who's a Westerner because it's so remote. And I said, well, I hope to see you in town at some point and find out where your restaurant is and I'd like to go and visit you. Well, he, still, he never took his sunglasses off and I could tell he was really not wanting me to see who he was. Several months went by and Pat had nearly forgotten this interaction when he ran into the man at an open air market. 
I tap him on the shoulder, and I said, hey, it's good to see you. I saw you and I recognized you. And he turns around and he's trying to find his sunglasses to put them on. You know, he's kind of patting his pockets and finally he finds them and he puts them on. And so I asked him, I said, did you start your restaurant? And he said, yes. Well, the next day I got on my motorcycle and I got there about 1130, I guess, in the morning. When he arrived, Pat asked several waitresses for the owner, only to be told he wasn't there. Pat asked for a manager instead and was shocked at who emerged from the back room. Who comes out but that little Burmese girl that I saw at the table sitting with this guy in Myanmar. Now, she was probably, I'm going to estimate, probably 14, 15, maybe 16 at the oldest. And so I asked her, you know, how did you get here? And so she told me, she said, they brought me through the mountains. And so I knew at that point that somehow he had smuggled her. He had to pay someone to smuggle her to get her through the border checkpoints. Unfortunately, Pat's story is not an unusual one. A quick Google search will show you that South Asia is the place to be for sex tourism and trafficking hotspots. I think the major reason why trafficking, especially in, uh, in South Asia, Southeast Asia, Oceania, is so large of an industry here is because of the level of poverty that exists. In many areas, for instance, like in South Asia, people live on less than $1.50 a day. Now, in the West, we have a lot of safety nets that people can rely upon. The welfare system, a lot of nonprofits, foundations, and stuff like that that often jump in to rescue people and assist people. But in a lot of these countries, those safety nets do not exist. And because they do not exist, people will do what's necessary to put food on the table, to take care of their parents, and to get whatever income they need just to eke out a living. The cultural push to take care of parents and serve as a breadwinner makes people especially vulnerable to trafficking. This is especially true in cultures where a person's value is based on the level of shame or honor they bring to their family and community. It is more shameful for them to not have income to take care of their parents than it would be for someone to find out that they're involved in sex trafficking, the sex industry, or a prostitute. So culturally, taking care of their parents would be much, much more important than the shame of being found out. But with that being said, many of the people involved in trafficking still send money home to their parents, but they never tell their parents how they're earning the income. But it is a big industry in this part of the world. It's not unusual in my hometown to just drive around the city and see a lot of elderly men, I say elderly, you know, 60 or above, who normally will have very, very young women at their sides. This is an issue that demands the attention of believers around the world. Just as Christ set the captives free, we must do the same, even when it might seem difficult to know where to start. This topic as a whole is shunned in many Christian circles around the world. We kind of put it off in the corner or we put this type of work in a closet because it's just, it doesn't give us that uh, feel-good feeling, I guess you'd say, that oftentimes we want to have whenever we do mission work. 
But I think this is an untapped area of ministry in many ways. It has a lot of potential for expansion, and I really hope that Southern Baptists get on board to do that. And we need to have churches and individuals who are willing to say, we're willing to stick it out to do whatever needs to be done to make these types of projects very successful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories of Hope. If you'd like practical tips on how you and your church can join Sin Relief Partners like PATH and help rescue people who've been trafficked, visit us online at sinrelief.org. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Stories of Hope. You'll automatically get a new episode every two weeks. Go to Apple or Spotify podcast and search for Stories of Hope. And finally, if you've liked what you've heard here, rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcast. That'll help other people find us and enjoy these stories too. This is Bryant Wright with Sin Relief. Join me in two weeks for another episode of Stories of Hope.